Lord, help us. Lord, it's been said over and over, we're just one beggar showing another beggar where the food is. We're all growing. We're all trying, at least, Lord, I hope and pray in this room and those we know and those who are not here this week and all that. Lord, it's just somewhere along the way we're just asking, Lord, I'm glad I'm not what I used to be. But Lord, help me become more of what you want me to be, to reflect you to people around me. Not me, not reflect me, but you. Lord, help us as we continue on this morning in your name. Amen. Amen. Like many of you, as most of you know, we've been in the, before I say that, we've been in the book of Acts for the last few months, and we'll continue to for about another month or so, and We'll see, and you know, but I think it's been said here many times in the pulpit, it's hard to go, okay, when there's 28 chapters and you have like, uh, I don't know how many weeks we had, 12 or 13 weeks to take that out, it's, it's hard to decide, Lord, what, what, are you, what are you saying to us? Where are we headed today? And the Lord, had, even though I preached on chapter 9 last week, doesn't mean I was going to preach on chapter 10 this week, but the Lord had led me to do that, I felt like, and really had prompted me and began to study and and over the GLS the last few days, it was great listening to those who are leaders in, in culture, not only in business, and, and, uh, but in, in, in the spiritual realm, but in the, in the legal realm. And it's just awesome to see what people are fighting for out there. But then yesterday in Charlottesville, and those of you who were paying attention to that, maybe you haven't, and the riots there, and just the mayhem, and... I hope everybody in this room is as sick about it as I was trying to watch it and trying to listen and trying to think through it and trying to go, what is this? It's nothing new to our country, though. It's really not. It's actually probably tamed down a little bit from where we've been in our culture before (laughs) as far as the number of people. But now we see it. It's real time. Right there in your face. As we as believers, I hope every time we are confronted with that kind of demonstration of what I call hate, uh, I believe is, you know, I, I think it would serve us all well to realize that, man, we need to always adjust our thoughts and look at it and look at our own selves. And I want to talk about that today because in Acts chapter 10, we are challenged to do that. Didn't design it this way. This is just where we are. And what I love about Acts chapter 10 is much so much about like Acts chapter 9 with Ananias and Paul last week that God goes before. God begins to stir. God begins to awaken before he begins to call, even to ask you, begins to awaken you. And that's what he did with Paul and Ananias last week. And today he'll do it with Peter and and Cornelius. But let me give you a little setup before we read the scripture in Acts chapter 10 that we'll camp out a little bit on today. But 
Peter was staying in, 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 in Joppa. It's on the Mediterranean coast, and it's about 30, mile, and 30 miles north of Joppa is the Roman capital, Caesarea. It's where the governor lives. And under his authority, about 3,000 troops. And serving under this governor was a centurion named Cornelius. He had about 100 troops. He commanded about 100 troops himself. Here's the deal, and most of you probably already know this, but the Jews despised the Roman occupation. They believed Jesus was coming, uh, or the Messiah would come to relieve them from all that. So, but still, they despised the Roman occupation and those who carried it out. That would include the centurions, the soldiers. The scene in Caesarea, you have a Gentile soldier representing the despised occupation of Israel. 30 miles south, you have a Jewish apostle. What I love about this is I read it again over and over this week and looking at different things, and there's so much we could pull out of this, but my assurance is if we believe the, what, what the word is here, and I do, is that God is always working behind the scenes. God is up to something. He's up to something. He's going before. He's stirring. He's allowing circumstances to happen. Maybe even in your life today. I hope you kind of. I hope you listen in such a way today that you kind of move yourself inside of this story. That God is already going before what He's about to say to them. He's already stirring their lives. He's going to call them to do something. So, when God begins to move in your life, the reality is, for most of us, it shouldn't be a shock. If we begin to look around at the circumstances, I think we'll begin to see that he's been up to something. So we're going to read in Acts chapter 10. We're going to read 24 verses here. And uh, like I said last week, if you've got your Bible or your electronic device, or it'll be here on the screen. In Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian regiment. He and his family were devout, God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day about three in the afternoon he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel who had come to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as memorial offering before God. In other words, a a sweet fragrance to God's nostrils. (laughs) That's the way I think of that. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the tanner whose house is by the sea. When the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius uh, called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. About noon the following day, about, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey approaching the city, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted to eat something, on something to eat, and while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw... Heaven opened up in something like a large sheet. Now get this in your mind now. Just a large sheet being brought down. Visualize this. Being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, Get up, Peter. Kill and eat. And it's Peter's normal way to respond when God tells him something. (laughs) Surely not, Lord. (laughs) Uh, anyway, I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times. 
And immediately the sheet was taken back into heaven. So he had, a, had this vision. There it was. He had to kind of drill it into his head, but now it's gone. Now Peter's wondering about the meaning of the vision. The men sent from Cornelius found out where Simon's house was and stopped at the gate. They called out, asked if Simon, was known as, who was known as Peter, was staying there. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. So get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Peter went down and said to the men, I am the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man. He is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel told him to come to, to this house so that, he could, so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guest. The next day Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. I'm going to skip down to verse 28. And he's now at Cornelius' house. He said to them, You're all aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate, to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. And again, God had to, as again, Peter's norm, he had to repeat to him many times. We see this throughout Peter's life. He has to repeat to him three times what he's trying to get him to do. And he had to realize that when Jesus went to the cross, that the Jewish laws of ceremonial defilement had been fulfilled in him, in Jesus. But this was a radical shift change for a Jew had been raised, had been taught, had been ingrained It's who he was. And he's, having to, he's getting this in his head in this moment going, okay, I've got to filter this, I've got to process. So we may be able to give Peter a little bit of leniency in all this going, wait a second, this has been deep within my bones. And now you're coming to something that's so radical. Because literally what this meant to be unclean or common or whatever it is it means to be it was tainted with sin it means it was it, it, it meant it was mixed with something else it wasn't pure I mean rejected I mean it was despised and it was just a ceremonial cleaning it was like the lepers when they walked through the streets the lepers had, had to yell out unclean unclean how would you like to have that on your life Everywhere you went, everywhere you put your foot down, if there were other people around, you had to yell out, unclean, unclean. So it wasn't just animals. It was people. And there included the Gentiles, to some, to not just some degree, to that extent. But to Peter's credit, this happened really quick, seems like. He was clear now that what God had said to him, and so he was not going to hesitate once he's clear. And I guess there's times, and we've talked about this even with Ananias, a little bit of hesitancy. Hey, news flash. Do you know who Paul saw, who eventually becomes Paul? Do you know who he is? Just a news flash. I just want to make sure we've talked this through. Then what did he do? He was obedient. This week I was driving here to the office and was on the phone with my mom. My mom's 90 years old. Try to talk to her, if not every day, almost every day. And every Sunday morning I have for a decade on Sunday mornings. And I was driving up here, got off going north on 51, turned off on Highland. And, you know, I'm in the right-hand lane. I'm on the phone. 
turn right-hand lane, you know, turn right on red. I did. No cars coming. I decided to move over into the left-hand lane. There was another car there, by the way. <laughs> yeah, they let me know it. They let me know it. You know, and you apologize, and you wave, and you try to not, okay, I'm going to turn into Fry's parking lot just so they won't pull up beside me and see who I am. or think. <laughs> You know, and there's a lot of reasons why we don't put anything Christian on my truck and all that. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Actually, I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to break the law. I just messed up. I didn't, wasn't paying attention. There I was, thank goodness, in that moment, in that moment, they honked. Have you ever noticed when you're driving down the highway and someone's going too slow or they just pull over in front of you, all of a sudden you think, man, what a jerk. Or somebody flies by and they're going 70, what a maniac. But you don't know them. But in that moment, we all have, this, have this, this tendency, if we're not careful, to make a snap judgment, not based on what we know, but based on what we want to think. They may be a maniac, they may be a jerk, but you don't know that. We make the same thing when somebody actually lets us into traffic, right? Well, those must be nice people. Give a big wave. Or someone opens the door for us when we're walking into a building. Thank you very much. We give them a smile because they must be good people. But if someone slams the door in front of us, they're not very courteous, then we have another thought all of a sudden. Now, it's just human. And those are playful things I realize that we're talking about there. In some ways. But should that be the immediate response of a person who is filled with the Holy Spirit? The first thing you think of when someone does that on the highway is jerk or maniac? I mean, that's your natural response? And we live in a culture today, it's very PC, it's very soundbite oriented, where I'm going to take a piece of something and I'm going to catch what you said there. I'm looking for a way to pigeonhole you. Because of your certain belief, oh, I'm not going to listen to all the rest of your belief that gives me context. I just want to know that part of it so I can take that and put you in that hole. And it's so rampant in our culture if we're not careful about that kind of prejudice and it goes both ways if we're not careful That if you're not careful, I won't even use any kind of facts. I will use emotionalism, and I will shout you into a corner. And I'm not only shouting you into a corner just to pigeonhole you, I may be even shouting you into the corner to silence you. Because I'll throw enough things at you, you won't know how to come out of that hole. Because I don't understand you, because I don't know you. But prejudice is this. To be prejudiced is to prejudge someone without sufficient information. And one of the things, if we're not careful, we're already inclined, just like Peter would have been here with Cornelius, we're already inclined through a lens we've been looking at most of our lives. If we're not careful, we're already way down that road. We're already going to pigeonhole them and judge them. You know... One of the reasons I think we do this, it's easy.
it's a whole lot easier to deflect what maybe someone is or isn't than me to get involved in their life or me to know them. Have you ever applied the scrutiny to other people that you would never apply to yourself? That there's no way you could withstand that kind of scrutiny, but you are definitely putting that kind of scrutiny on someone else. And of course, it's nothing more than Jesus talking about the splinter and the beam. And it's real easy to compare our best parts to someone else's weakest parts. See, Peter and Cornelius both here. They had the opportunity to be prejudiced in this moment, didn't they? Peter easily could have thought Roman soldiers are pagans. Not all of them, apparently. I mean, this Cornelius, what I love about this, and I don't have time to, to, to put meat on this bone today, but I love the fact that Cornelius, as despised as the centurions were, he had found favor with the Jewish people. Why? Because he honored God. He was good to them. He helped the poor. He's, the, the, it says here, he is righteous and God-fearing who is respected by all the Jewish people. Favor. But Cornelius also could have thought, I am not going to listen to some uneducated Jewish man who's staying with a stinking tanner. <laughs> Tanners clean their animals there. That's, I mean, it stunk to high heaven. I'm not going what is he doing? But they both would have missed it. So for God to use us effectively in his purposes, he has to break us from our prejudices. To be prejudiced is to prejudge someone without sufficient information. It doesn't mean, folks, that you hate them or have disdain for them. It just may mean that you, consciously or subconsciously, just believe you're better than them. That you deserve more than them. You've lived a better life than them. You've kept the law, if you will. Better than them. But lets us off the hook. Growing up, in, growing up in Arkansas in the 60s, it was a very interesting time. I lived there until I was 21 years old and moved to Dallas. And when I was 21, went to work for Texas Instruments. But I did not have a relationship with an African-American person till I was 21 years old. It's not because I didn't want one, not because I didn't... There's just nobody I knew. <laughs> because our county in Arkansas, I think there were some Native Americans that lived in our county, you know, but otherwise in my school, 
or anywhere else. There, there, there was no other ethnic group. Now, you can decide what you want to and why there were nobody lived in our county that was any other ethnic group. I played basketball and sports against those of other ethnic groups, but I didn't know anybody. I mean, really have a relationship with anybody. But here's the deal. I didn't have a prejudice that I knew of either. My parents, they, they were very strict. You weren't racist. You didn't tell jokes. You didn't have a... Everybody was valuable. Everybody was important. Everybody, even though we didn't know them, it wasn't until I went to work at Texas Instruments that I had started having relationships, honestly, with any, almost any other ethnic group on a consistent basis, and it was wonderful. Played sports where there were times where I was the only white guy on the team. One of the reasons we go back to North Little Rock, Arkansas and Little Rock and have for the last, most years, for the last 15 years, yes, we love the ministry that we go there to be able to be a part of. We feel like we have a chance to advance the kingdom for Friendly Chapel. They pour back into us. They advance the kingdom here in Arizona. It's a give. I don't know who wins in that. I don't mean that in a, in a flippant way or, or, or secular way. I just think both sides win, if you will, which is just a great relationship. But I'm going to tell you one thing we do every time, and it's mandatory for all the students and in every adult who at least has to go one time, and that is to go to Central High School. Central High School, 1957, though. 1957, Governor Faubus was instructed to allow nine, I don't know what the number was supposed to be, but nine uh, uh, African-American students chose to be a part of that at least, to be integrated into an all-white high school. Now, it is a beautiful high school. It is enormous. If you, and, we, and we go there every year, almost every year. Well, we go every year, we go anyway. And it's still basically that's what it looks like right now. But Governor Faubus said, no way. No way, that ain't happening. So he brings in the National Guard to keep them from going in. Stops them. A little time passes. President Eisenhower says, no, that's not going to work. He sends in the federal troops, bayonets drawn. See the next picture. It's that word that keeps jumping up there. That was interesting. Mixing. What was the term for the literal term in the Greek? that we just talked about just a few minutes ago, it's the mixing. Unclean, unclean, it's not pure, it's being mixed. See the next one. So they began to come. These brave students, teenagers, teenagers, began to come. Escorted. The troops were there, yes. Unfortunately, they're being escorted by probably people there with Bibles in their hands. There's a great chance of that. 
And potentially yelling, unclean, unclean, I don't know, but close to it. I want, we want these students from here because it's, and Arizona's got its own challenges and had in its history, I'm sure. But I know for a fact there is a museum that we can set their little rear ends down in and they're going to have to bathe in it. They're going to have to try to wrestle with it. They're going to have to see this is real. And they'll look at it and go, this can't be real. No, 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 it's real. Go back to the other one. It's mixed today. But it has, still has its challenges. After all these years. You can force it. But if there's no love. And we can do this, obviously. We can be prejudiced in a more humorous way, right? Let's break it up here. That's, that's heavy. Hey, we can do it in a more humorous way, right? Uh, like... Uh, when I was growing up, anybody from a Polish descent got a lot of jokes told about them. No offense to anybody in here, but they did. And then we decided not, you don't do it to anybody from Poland. Let's just go for the Texas A&M Aggies. <laughs> Let's just go after them. All of our jokes will now be around the Aggies, right? How many Aggies does it take to? You fill in the blank. Being from Arkansas is not easy. I mean, the running joke I've heard till I want to throw up is, oh, you guys marry your cousins there. You guys are always marrying your cousin. You're always marrying your cousin. That's the reason why you guys don't have any teeth. The reason why you don't have any... Let me clarify something. In the state of Arkansas that I know of, and at least wasn't back then, and it's still not today, you cannot marry your first cousin. It is against the law. But California, you can. Just saying. I love California. Yeah, Jed Clampett didn't do us any good. Granny, Jethro, Ellie Mae. Yeah, they didn't help us. They didn't help us. I just, I just told me, that I thought, if we have the slide, I don't know if we do or not. You know, the, the, the Clampett, this is a kind of a side note. Uh, the Clampett Mansion isn't for sale now, the mansion, mansion at the Beverly Hillbillies. It's the most expensive house in the nation right now, $350 million for sale right now. So just go rush out and do what you got to do together. <laughs> have you ever done this? And I know I'm getting sidetracked. Have you ever done this? Oh, there it is. Yeah, there it is. Just 10 acres. It's not any 10 acres. 25,000 square feet. Yeah. I'm not saying I've ever done this. I'm just asking if you've ever done this. Have you ever seen a bumper sticker and someone says who they voted for for president and you want to speed up and drive by them to see what they look like? (laughs) I'm not saying I've ever done that. I'm just saying, have you ever done that? And the reason you do that, because you're staying in the same pool all the time. You don't know anybody that votes differently. So you just want to know what they look like. 
Prejudice is going to have devastating effects. We heard from, the, from one of the survivors of the Rwanda genocide in 1994 on Friday. She stayed in a three, two by three, I can't remember, bathroom with like five or six other women or multiple women. She stayed in this bathroom for three months and they'd already murdered between 800,000 and a million of their tribe. Neighbors, not conquering other nations, just your neighbor. And there are times we can have prejudice so devastating that we often call it something else, though. And you've heard me say this before, and I know I can get myself in trouble by saying this, but I'm, I'm, I'm all right with that. Because I, when I say it, I obviously don't have any tangible evidence on this side of heaven to back it up. But this is, I'm just going to say it, that one of the greatest missed opportunities for the church in the U.S. to advance the kingdom, I believe, was the AIDS crisis in the late 80s and 90s. Instead, for the most part, of going, God has given this time to us to bless and to serve those whom we may disagree with so much, and I know it's fear that you may touch them and get the sickness yourself, but because of all that, we looked at it almost as judgment instead of an opportunity to advance the kingdom and love people just where they are. Now, I don't know. I can't tell you. that's, a, But I'm telling you, we can call it something else. And the church has been declining in America ever since then. I believe that one of the things, if we read this passage of Scripture, and again, there's so much here, I just want to just take days to just wrestle with it with people, but one of them is, I am convinced God is showing these two men the capacity of His love. He's showing these two men, I, there is nobody outside of my scope. There is nobody outside of my reach. There is nobody that's got a bad enough story. There is nobody. This is how much I love. And I don't love them because of what they have or have not done. I love them because of who I am as a God that sacrifices and unconditionally loves them. That's who I am. I'm trying to show you, Peter. I'm trying to show you, Cornelius. I knew where you were, Cornelius. It doesn't matter the color. It doesn't matter the ethnic group. It doesn't matter the, 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 the lifestyle. It doesn't matter the tattoos or the, the body art or whatever you want to call it, a cleaner way to say it. It doesn't matter your criminal background. It doesn't matter your political affiliation. It doesn't matter. You're not outside of it. You're just not outside of it. And we've got to grab a hold of that. But don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that we should be tolerant in the sense of accepting of practices that Bible calls sin. That's not what I'm saying. Or that we should just go out and become like everybody else so we won't, we won't cause any waves. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm attempting to say today is, is that for God to effectively use us and for his purposes, we have to face our own prejudices and allow God to root them out. 
and we, I don't know if we ever reach a point where we're not susceptible to it, ever. Maybe. And much like Peter, we're probably blind to those until we're confronted. And God begins to break them down. Because he has to break them down for, be the, for us to be the most effective of where he wants to use us. We ha- he has to. And what's so awesome when we allow the Holy Spirit to begin to operate freely in our lives is that he blows up some of our preconceived ideas. Blows them up. We use this illustration often, obviously, here at Renovation. Haven't in a while. If you're here, one of your first few times here, probably maybe not seen it, but it is. we talk about this as a spiritual journey. But one of the things we talk about at the foot of the cross, Billy Graham's quote, at the foot of the cross, and we talk about here being the place where you come to know Christ. At the foot of the cross, the ground is level. There is no hierarchy. There is no you live better than you lived and you live better. No, 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 no. We all come at the foot of the cross on level ground. And then God begins to stretch us and begins to move us and begins to move us up what we call up this ladder. And what I mean by that is he begins to grow us and transform us to be coming into his image. Becoming more and more like him. And when we get to one rung, he gets us there and he lets us get good and, good and, good and, and stable there. Then he comes and gets us to another rung and he begins to stretch us he begins to take us and he takes us all the way up here where it says do not sit or stand and he says will you will you go to Cornelius' house Lord that's too much Ananias will you go to Judas' house on the street called straight to the man who's been blaspheming and murdering your, or at least bringing them to be murdered, your people. Will you do it, Ananias? Man, that's a place I don't want to sit or stand. Yeah, but I'm going to ask you to do that. But for some of you, it's just as simple as this. He's not even asking you to go there right now. He's not asking you to do that. He's asking you to, to be stretched and begin to examine and begin to look at those places that maybe you have these preconceived or these prejudices. And even if you've got the facts right, you still got to love them. Even if you got them all right. Even if you've got every little truth down, then God's still going to say, I want you to love them. Not phileo, love not warm, affectionate love like your brother necessarily, like it's all about feeling, it's all about this and that. No, agape love. Or sacrificial. It's about the will. You're choosing. And you're choosing not because of what they have or have not done. You're choosing because of who you've become in him. As I shared last week, there is a Grand Canyon chasm. And I said this to teenagers and different ones, but it's in for all us, husbands and wives. It's for everybody. But I said this to teenagers and and college students last week a little bit. But there is an enormous difference between loving someone because of who they are In other words, what they've done for you is what I mean by that. And loving someone because of who you've become. Because I'm fearful in the U.S. at times, that that especially our younger people, but it's for everybody. But when you have children, you learn to sacrifice in many ways. And those who have children understand. Those who don't, I understand. There's no reason that you have to know that. But there is, when you have children, you just have to figure out real quick. You have to sacrifice. 
For them to survive, you have to sacrifice. For them to make it through the first year, you have to sacrifice. But as a young person, if you're not careful, if I came and asked you today if you loved your parents, you would say, well, of course I love my parents. But do you love your parents because of who they are? Do you love your parents because of who you've become? Because who you've become means sacrificial. Who you've become, you choose them. You love your parent, not because of what they have or have not done. You show love and grace to them because of who you are. That's a different kind of love. That's a Grand Canyon chasm. So where is Peter being moved? Where is Peter? Don't call anything I have made un anything I have called clean. You better not call it common. You better not call it unclean. <clears throat> Aren't you thankful the Lord continues to work on us? Aren't you? See, some of us don't want that. Genuinely, we don't want the Lord to continue to work on us. I've showed you the Barna slide. I don't know if we have it here or not. The Barna slide, I just briefly show it again. As you look at the slide, you see the fact that most people in America, most Christians specifically, end up landing in number five where they're committed to faith activities. But, ex but when they get to number seven, they turn around and go back. They don't want to go through personal brokenness. They don't want to have to examine each day. They don't want to have to take inventory and say, okay, God, where is it in me that does not reflect you? Where is it? There's a term I heard this week. And so what? If we're not careful, we'll end up getting on rung two or three, and we're, we're even never moving again. We don't care. Almost to a point where we don't care if God's working in our lives. We just don't want to move. But I heard a term this week. It's called arrested development. I've heard it before, but... But, it, but a lady, Angela Duckworth, in her book called, she did a deal on grit and talking about a book, but it's, it's an abnormal state in which development has stopped prematurely. Now, obviously there are some things that people can't help from a physical or mental emotion. There are certain things that may happen that they have no say-so in. But I, she was talking more about things that you take on as a task, something you want to get better at. But especially I started looking at it as from a spiritual standpoint in this sense. I don't know if we have the slide up there or not. A beautiful drawing. But what she talked about was this. If you want to become a world-class expert at a guitar or, 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 or a sports figure, whatever it is, I mean, mathematician, whatever it is, there is a grit line that you have to hit. And, you, and it's called perseverance. And grit is, is this passion, this, this the ability to go through it. Even when it starts to stop you, you continue to push through of course, she's not talking about the power of the Holy Spirit also, which perseverance ultimately is a fruit of following after Christ. But she said, what happens with many people, I looked when she was talking about this, becoming a world-class expert, she was talking about guitars, and I thought, yeah, that was me there. Drums, oh yeah, that was me too. Yeah, and you start going drop out, drop out, drop out. And some of those things are all right. They just don't fit, and you just move on about your life. I wish I knew how to play both of those right now. I simply do not. But the other place that she talked about was this. And, I, and it's not on there, but it's what I just said to you. That's driving some of you crazy. You get to arrested development. And, you're, and I would say in your spiritual journey. 
You no longer want to look. You're just fine. And you would say by Barna's deal, well, that's normal. (laughs) But we ain't comparing to Barna studying everybody else in America. We're asking Scripture. We're asking God, where do you want me to be? And and don't misunderstand. You're not supposed to be a world-class expert Christian. But am I supposed to be living into everything God's called me to live into? That's the question. That's what you would substitute there. And some of us drop out along the way. It's just not worth it. But some of us along the way find arrested development. (laughs) Put that back up, that phrase. We just stopped. I don't want to have to know that person. I don't want to have to give them information. And a matter of fact, if I get more information, I may be more upset about it, and God's going to go, but I'm trying to do something. God is the kind of God that's going to put you in circumstances, I believe, in situations where you have to deal with it. He's up to something. He's up to something. Because he loves you that much. He's not up to something so he can punish you. He's up to something because he cares for you and he's drawing you and he loves you and he wants you to come to him and live into the fullness of what he's asking. But if we're not careful, we just get somewhere up here and we just go, what I think is interesting a guy named Brian Stevenson in one of his talks this week, I think on, on Injustice, I can't, th- Injustice, I can't think of it anyway, his, his organization about helping people who've been in prison and things along that line uh, that shouldn't be there and along some other things. But he used this term, and this is what happened to Peter. And he used the word Proximity. And what he meant by that was, unless you go to the problem, unless you sit with them, unless you smell it, taste it, rub against it, you'll probably never do anything about it. What did God, he didn't just tell Peter, Peter, now Gentiles are in. (laughs) What did he tell Peter? You're going to Cornelius' house. (laughs) You're going to approximate. (laughs) You've got to go there. Matter of fact, you've got to go there because they need to hear the message that you're carrying. And they were baptized and filled with the Spirit. Could God have chosen not to use Peter and still save Cornelius? You bet. He can do whatever he wants to do. To do. But what I am so excited about it, he chooses to use us. He continues to choose to use us. Would you stand with me? I'm going to ask the guys to come back up. And we're just going to give you an opportunity as we close today. I don't know. I would wrestle with this myself this week. You just go, okay, Lord, what, what are you saying to me? And I, actually, I'm going to tell you what he said to me. <laughs> I'm still trying to process it. But today, as we've gone through this,
There just may be some group of people or a person that you've already prejudged. You've already pigeonholed them. And God is bringing that to your mind. You're going, no, that's not acceptable. He may not be calling you to go to them at this point. He may not, or he may. But they're valuable and they're because he loves them. I was yesterday, and it sounds crazy, but I was, we got to get out of here. I, I was just, 2010, I was flying from Vienna to Yerevan, Vienna, Austria to Yerevan, Armenia. And there's only one, I think, what you'd call secular song on my iPod at the time. I think it's, I think it's what it's called uh, back then. And it was from a group called Black Eyed Pea. Now, you're gonna, as soon as I say that, you're going to go, oh, pigeonhole. <laughs> but it's a song called Where is the Love? Where is the love? And I was flying, and Dan was there next to me. We were going to Yerevan to meet with some people. And just saw Allie in London. And I don't know, it was 3 or 4 in the morning. I'm just, and I don't sleep well in airplanes. I'm just staring out the window and flying over Europe, seeing lights of these little towns. If you've ever done it, it's just awesome. It's just going. And I'm blasting in my earbuds, where is the love? So yesterday, I probably listened to that song 25 times. So that's how this sermon came from Black Eyed Peas yesterday. (laughs) But no. My point is this. As I looked at that, But we, as a church, carry the greatest. We have the answer. We have, we're part of, we have the ministry. We have been given the ministry of reconciliation. There is no other ministry. It is that. We got to get people healthy and whole. We got to begin to, Drive out and root out prejudice. We've got to drive and root out reasons why strongholds. We've got to drive and root out. We've got to help people get whole and healthy. Or let's go do something else. But as Josiah and Stuart lead us this morning, if you want to come and pray before we close, and I'll come back and do a closing prayer, to pray around these altars. And whatever the Lord's speaking to you this morning, there may be someone that you may have all the facts or at least you think you do or at least your side of the facts <laughs> that you're still supposed to go love. Lord, help us. We take these couple of minutes here. Thank you. You don't let us stay where we are. You're always calling us to be more like you. To be that fragrance and aroma. To not only your nostrils, but to the people around us. In your name we pray, Lord. Help our people.